Welcome to Let's Talk Austria, the podcast for the international community in Austria. Produced by Recom Relocation in Vienna. Your host today, Angelika Brenner-Zezele, partner and CEO at Recom Relocation. If you like our podcast, please recommend it to others. If you are interested in being a guest in one of the next episodes, please write us. Our email address is podcast at recom-relocation.at. Welcome to Let's Talk Austria. This episode is for employers who are desperately looking for tech talents and it is also for tech talents around the world who are looking for a job in Austria. Today, my guest is Mohammed Afif Haunji, and he is a talent success advisor at Honeypot in Vienna. Mo, thank you very much for your time and thank you for accepting my invitation. Before we start, would you please introduce yourself a bit to our listeners, where you are from and what brought you to Austria? Yeah, thank, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on the show. To get to know me a little bit better, as you just mentioned, my name is Mohammed Afif Awunji, but basically everyone calls me Mo. And I'm originally from Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, I grew up there, I spent like the first 23 years of my life there. It was a really interesting uh, place to be in. Very mixed, very diverse, but not so diverse at the same time. It was a really interesting experience for me to stay there, but at some point I decided to uh, start looking for uh, masters abroad. Uh, I didn't feel like I was a very good cultural fit in my culture. It started with a friend of mine when uh, he was thinking of relocating somewhere. I'm like, okay, where can we go? We were thinking of France first because I did my bachelor's in a French-speaking university in Lebanon. And his English wasn't the best. Sorry, Adam, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, so like, we decided to go to France. It didn't work out because we applied like quite late for the process. So we decided to push it an extra year. And then he lost interest. So I was like... Where can I go in Europe where I can uh, study, do my master's in HR? Uh, so my only options were, uh, I found two programs, one in Austria and one in Warsaw. A few friends that I met on a trip before, acquaintances at the time, became friends. And I asked them, like, hey guys, what do you recommend, Austria or uh, Poland? Because I've never been to either. And they were like, dude, of course, Austria. First of all, you have us here. You studied some German in high school. So it would be nice to at least like go somewhere where you don't have to start exactly completely from scratch. And I followed their advice. It was a little bit more expensive. However, worth every single penny. <laughs> That sounds great. I'm very curious. Um, when you moved to Austria, what was your biggest culture shock when you first came? That would be basically how people interact with you. So I come from a culture where... Uh, we seem very open and like we're welcoming and everything, but you have to wear a few masks. So here in Austria, everyone is direct. So they're quite easy to read, like facial expressions, body language. Back home, you have to invest a lot of time in trying to analyze this person, if they like you or not. In Austria, they would tell you, Oida, Gevek, if they don't like you. And if they like you, like, yo, servus, come here. It was very direct. Basically, it was a place where I felt like I belong. Uh, the first day I arrived, actually, I had a panic attack. No, I left everything behind. What am I doing? I should go back. And then I had my two flatmates uh, and they were like, yo, dude, want to grab a beer with us? And then I went with them and they re like really calmed me down. And I woke up the second day. I'm like, this place is awesome. <laughs> I need to discover it before I judge it. And after I've spent so much time getting to know the culture of the people, I get to a point where I'm like, I really feel like I belong without being already here. 
so that feeling like started when on the second day I'm like no I belong even though I don't fit yet or I don't know where I would go and with whom I talk and I don't speak the language and I barely know the culture it felt like home really pretty I spent the first month actually going every day in the first district like taking pictures of uh, Stefan's dorm of the churches of the buildings the architecture and I didn't even know that I was into that stuff like before but it was such a nice place I'm like wow now I'm like an advocate for Vienna. I push my colleagues, like, hey, move to Vienna, come on. So you really feel home. That's yeah. so great to hear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a few friends who don't feel home yet. I understand them. Like, everyone has their own preferences. However, this place is home for me. My plan is to stay until I get the citizenship and then maybe travel a little bit, discover somewhere else. But I know that I'm going to end up back in Austria. <laughs> Like, I feel this is my comfort zone now. Especially since your girlfriend is now Austrian. Yeah, yeah. that also helps. <laughs> she doesn't help with the German much, but we're working on it. <laughs> and is there anything you really miss from your home country? I wouldn't say I'm a foodie because I am very picky with my food, but I am food oriented. So my stomach works before my brain and food really is like my love language. I really miss food from back home. I had a period in 2020, it was like a very tough period uh, for everyone. COVID just started and everything was chaotic. Mm -hmm. But also for me as a Lebanese, because we had a lot of bad things happening like in one year, like the explosion, the currency crash, everything. Plus, mm -hmm. I had lost a really dear person in my life. So it was not the best environment for me mentally. And to deal with that, I didn't deal, I wouldn't say I dealt with it with the healthiest option. <laughs> but having this piece of home was really significant to me. I had problems with my flat. Uh, I was living in the third district and I had too many flatmates. So I had to leave somewhere else so I can have some relaxation. And I found like a Zweierwege in Otakring, right next to Brunnenmarkt. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know what Brunnenmarkt is, it's international cultural uh, market. It has a bit from everything. And for me, it meant a lot because I had it like the food that I ate as a little kid, like my comfort food was literally two, three minutes away from my doorstep. So I was like, go there, like enjoy it. I gained a lot of weight. <laughs> I'm still trying to lose that weight, <laughs> but it was like worth every penny. It was so much like warmth because I spent like almost two years without seeing any one of my family members because of COVID and travels and I was a student, so I couldn't afford it. And then, like, once I went back home for the first time after that, it was so emotional. It was beautiful. So you like food. Did you try Austrian food? I did try Austrian food. I mean, like, obviously schnitzel. As I mentioned, I'm a picky eater. There are a few dishes. We don't know the names for them. Kartoffel, Salat. We have it also back home in a different way. But I didn't used to like it. Here, I love it. Uh, but then I have to invite you to our cooking classes. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> we start cooking classes at the Club Melange. Yeah. We will start now in uh, June. And we prepare old traditional Austrian dishes um, shown by our parents or by our grandparents. I have to invite you to our classes. One thing I also really like is the dishes that I tried that I really like are mainly breakfast, especially the bread that we had a conversation. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Bread is awesome for me. And also like how you prepare everything with the yauzes. Mm -hmm. like, I'm mm -hmm. really into the topic of breads now. Mm -hmm. Flicker, I tried it a few times. It was like really good. I liked mm -hmm. it. But for me, it's schnitzel. And actually, there's a spa uh, at Schottentor. They have like this pretzel. Uh, I mean, it's not only Austrian, but like you can get it here and they put butter in it. And I'm like, wow. Into what? Into pretzel? Or? They, yeah, you mm. get like uh, Laugenpretzel. A Laugenpretzel. And mm -hmm. then they inject butter into it. Oh. The first time I, I was like, oh my God. Doesn't sound like a light dish. <laughs> uh, it's actually quite good. Like it's not heavy, but like you feel bad after. <laughs> 
But before we go into details about the search for tech talents, can you please tell us what Honeypot is about? Yeah, sure thing. Um, Honeypot is um, a developer-focused job platform. A lot of people think it is an agency where like, you get their service so that they can go and find talents for you. We don't do that. The best way to see Honeypot is it's a marketplace. If you're a company, you go there, you offer like your positions, like you let the people know that you're looking for something. And if you're a developer, tech talent, you just like go there, you demonstrate your skills on your profile, and we help you as, as talent success advisors. We help you with your profile to create the best one so, and the most understandable one. So you have a maximum chance of getting hired. So basically, uh, developers go live for five weeks and they themselves like tell when they want to be visible. So if you go live in five weeks, you're sure that you're going to look for a job. This helps companies a lot. So there are a lot of companies that go on LinkedIn, for example, and they start looking for developers, but they can't tell if they are active on the platform or not. However, on Honeypot, you can tell that these people here are on there for five weeks. So the chances of you getting an interview with one of them is much higher. And as a developer, it means that you have a simpler way of how to accept uh, interview invites or to reject them if they're not interested. You have the power, so it's really interesting for them. But other than the business model that we have, we also have a lot of content. Uh, we have a lot of like big uh, documentaries. Some developers call our documentaries like Netflix for them mm -hmm. because they're really immersive. We have uh, like one of our latest big documentaries was React.js. It's one of the most popular, if not the most popular programming framework. And I think we have 700,000 views so far, aiming for a million soon as well. It tells you all the story about it. So we have a lot of content, a lot of articles. I have my colleague Melina working on the salary report for developers so they can tell like how much they can earn in different parts of the Dach region. She also worked on a women in tech report. So we're really involved in the community from the developer's perspective. We also do stuff for the employers. We have a seminar. I'm planning actually, I'm planning a seminar for recruiters and companies related to this woman in tech uh, like report so that we can guide companies like, okay, this is how you can actually make change, not just like declare it and get lost in it. Like, what, what do we do now? Definitely stay tuned to that. <laughs> and who is paying for your service? Is the talent paying or the future employer? Yes. So just to simplify it for the talents, we are there to help them. So it's completely free if you're a tech talent or a developer. So you don't have to pay anything. All you have to do is to sign up, create your profile and respond to any interview invite that you get. And basically, uh, it's the companies who are paying for the service. And the reason why they pay for it is because we have great content. We have great community involvement and engagement. And we have access to these talents. And if they're looking for a job, they come to us. So if you're a company looking for a developer, what you have to do is like just request, like, hey, I want access to this talent pool because it's interesting and it would solve my problems, my recruiting problems. And basically, all you have to do is to also create a profile as a company, sign up and do the fees and everything. And then you can get to go. Mm -hmm. And what are the fees about for the employer? Um, I think I don't have the actual fees now, like everything has been updated. So fees scares people, like if you just say fees. If you're a company using an external recruiter, as like you're outsourcing it, you're getting a hunter, a headhunter or someone, you have to pay like quite a high fees. Like I have a friend of mine that costs his company like 40k wow. for in headhunter fees or something. And I'm like, haha. -ha. <laughs> 
how can I get that job first? <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, you end up paying like 15, 20% of this person's first like salary. If you look at it that way, we have a cost per hire of, let's say 12, 13, up to 20K per hire. This is only for a headhunter without also opening positions for companies on, for example, Kununu or on LinkedIn or in job portals. So all of that increases the cost per hire. And on Honeypot, like you can keep your cost per hire below 10K at the most. <laughs> the bigger your plan is, so like it would obviously mean more fees. However, the cost per hire shrinks. Focus on like how much you're paying in, on Honeypot in comparison to what you are paying for everything else while you can solve your problem locally for a fraction of the actual price. Uh, you know, in Austria, or actually in many countries, there is a huge lack of qualified tech talents. Uh, the Austrian's federal minister of labor and economy, uh, he issued quite a long list of the so-called skilled workers in shortage occupation. How come that there is such a huge shortage of so many occupations and especially of tech jobs? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so the way to look at it is we're going like, to get out from this perspective of tech recruiting and uh, from the perspective of tech recruiting and uh, markets. We need to look at it from a more like a sociological uh, point of view and demographics. For example, here in Austria and as well for the rest of the European Union, you have a shrinking population. The biggest segment of the population is baby boomers because it's an industrialized society, it's a developed society. So the birth rate is much lower. So generation after generation, there are less people than they were. So this is one uh, aspect of why we have a shortage of occupations. Another one is because we're not investing properly in uh, all the ways to limit that. So one way to fill the gap is by importing people. So you just like hire someone from abroad and you get them into the system. I mean, that would solve when it comes to the fertility issue and like the number of people in the population, but that wouldn't solve the root cause in your system that you're not investing in the jobs or creating opportunities for people that will be maintained later on. This is where you can see, for example, universities, in, not just in Austria, everywhere, because they're very rigid in their um, curricula. The curricula is not as fast-paced as others. So, for example, a boot camp can teach you all the latest trend as a developer. If you want to be a developer, you go to university. What you end up doing is you end up learning C++, C, C Sharp, all of those now like ancient technologies. They're still used. It's still very popular. It's just that it might not be the thing that you want. And a lot of developers who have gone through university, they studied them and they know them. They still know them. It's just that they prefer using other technologies. And the only reason they learn it is because the universities, they teach them that because they're good at establishing the basics and they're more difficult. So whatever programming language that you learn after that, is going to be much, much easier. Mm -hmm. However, that's taking time away from those people to start having an impact in entering the job market. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to look at it. Another one is the countries are not really investing in uh, diversifying their workforce locally, especially. As I mentioned, like the Women in Tech report. In our report, you can see that there's a lot of companies who don't have like a diverse workforce. Usually when you think of a programmer, oh, it's a stereotypical dude who like the entire day coding, not looking at anything other than the screen. But we have had like a demographic shift in what a developer can be. It's a very diverse workforce, mm -hmm. but we're just not changing companies and how they recruit to accept people who don't look like the stereotypical person who went to university to study this. Why is there no or not enough qualified 
tech personnel in Austria available? Is the education here not good enough? I would say the education here is quite good. So I went through it. Um, I studied at FHBFE, shout out. <laughs> But I think this is where the FHs actually have an advantage over uh, universities because, the, as I mentioned in the previous part, you have more flexibility in the curricula. This is one way how the government can cover the gap But they're also like not investing that much. You just end up learning about ancient technologies instead of the latest trends. Another reason is the culture in Austria, for example. Like if you uh, follow up with the news in Austria, you can tell like the society like has a reputation of being a little bit conservative, which is not always true, but true in, in some cases. If you're a conservative yourself, the concept means that you are someone who likes the status quo. You don't want to change anything. Otherwise, it might collapse So like you're afraid of change. This is what being a conservative is. Since that like companies in Austria uh, have an old fashioned style, like still conservative, still rigid structures, you can't influence them to and get them to change fast enough. Mm, we are slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like not only Austria, there's a lot of other countries, mm -hmm. but since we are based in Austria, like we need to address that. As long as we fear change, we're not going to progress on that. Mm -hmm. So we can stay in our bubble as long as we want. But that would not help us as a society, as people, as individuals, as companies. It's going to let us lag behind when other places are a little bit more progressive than us and already seeing a lot more change. Where does good qualified tech personnel mainly come from? This is a tough question because you can't really pinpoint it. Uh, the best way to answer this question is everywhere. As long as you look for what you really need. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of companies are struggling with finding these people that would fit their like requirements. I would say try to understand your demographics more, your potential locations where you can find these people. The easiest part, like you can go on meetups as a company and see what kind of technologies that you have in your company, what is your tech stack, and get your recruiters as well as your engineers to go and participate in tech meetups. I was in Spain last year and there was a company that sponsors uh, a Vue.js group because their stack based on Vue.js, which is another framework for JavaScript. This is a good way for them to keep in touch with the community, to keep understanding, okay, how popular it is, how many people are there, how many people can we expect to have in our direct talent pool, and how we can develop a relationship with them. If you're looking internationally, you can see that they honestly come from everywhere. Uh, we have our data, our internal data at Honeypot shows that a lot of companies in the Dach region are also more interested in people abroad. Could you explain what Dach region means? Yeah, the Dach region. So that's Deutschland, which is Germany, Austria, and the CH stand for... Uh, no, Switzerland. Switzerland. <laughs> I was going to say Netherlands, <laughs> because we operate there as well. Yeah, so. Switzerland. <laughs> in those countries, we have a lot of companies that are interested, obviously, in their local talents, because it's faster, it's easier, like they're already here. But also, there's a lot of companies who are interested in international talents. If you look at our data, uh, we operate in interview invites. So how many interview invites companies send to talents? And we compare that based on the locations. Talent pool centers are in, for example, Nigeria, in Bangalore, in India. They have higher numbers than in Germany. So they're receiving, they have interest from companies based in those like Central European countries. And they're not even here. So there's a lot of talents out there. We just like, need to know where to find them. Are employers somehow hesitant to employ talents from third countries because of all the visa process? This is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have lived in Austria or have people like in Austria and Germany, Germany, I think it's, they, they have the Ausländerbehörde, they have the same problems. Mm -hmm. And here we have the MA35. In Vienna, it's called MA35. Yeah. In the other uh, provinces, it's called differently. Different thing, mm -hmm. yeah. But like, for example, in Vienna, like they are called MA35. I don't want to give them bad marketing or promotion. Mm -hmm. 
but like they didn't have uh, the best user experience. So I personally, like for example, I had to wait quite a few months to get my uh, residency permit, even though I was already here. It, there's a lot of bureaucracy in it, but that started to change actually like end of 2020, early 2021, if I remember correctly. They opened the business department. Business agency, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. they didn't have it before, right? No. Yeah, they new. opened it in 2021 and that they had more people specialized in work permits for people who are relocating here or people who are graduating from universities. That has been like a really good help because you have the processes for people who are like companies wait and they can't wait to get a job. It's much, much simpler. So instead of waiting a long time, it's much easier. I had like the last two years, honestly, working with them at Fotoisi, it was quite easy. I didn't have to do much. The staff was actually very friendly. When I went to pick up my residency card a couple of weeks ago, I think that has been like my favorite experience with the M35 because it was such a friendly person. They had a problem with the payment system, which was like funny. I had to go and pay it by bank, which is right, right across the street. So they are improving. They definitely are improving, mm -hmm. no, mm -hmm. definitely. But it still takes a long time, so yeah. it's, yeah. As I mentioned, like in the like, question before, especially in Austria, you have like rigid structures and status quo that is loved. You don't like to change much, which I understand. Change is not for everyone. If you have to deal with something like that is very instant. And after all the feedback that uh, MR35 had, had received in the last five years, mm -hmm. they realized that there is a systemic problem that they need to solve. But I'm really happy that they took the first step into change. I mean, they're trying to take action on something that they can control. Employers are actually, in Austria, they are still hesitant because there's a lot of processes that you have to do. Like you have to get this person's birth certificate, you have to get them the employment contract. Too many documents are needed, yeah. There are too many documents that are needed. And honestly, if you're doing that by yourself, like it's very difficult. I have a friend of mine, now he's a friend. When I met him at the time, he was an acquaintance online only and he actually ended up uh, relocating to Vienna. And he was hired at the beginning for as a freelancer from Lebanon because his company didn't have any support from their uh, like HR department. They didn't know what to do and they don't have anyone or any, like for example, like Recom to help them with it. So they didn't know the process and it took him eight months to relocate. Like he accepted the contract and everything and he stayed eight months until he was able to relocate here. If you do it alone or uh, with a company, you have to wait two months for the government to process things. It saves you five months of productivity, of waiting and everything. I would say do your research at the company, reach out to relocation companies because this is like a problem that you don't have to uh, worry about. And even the costs that it would cost you, uh, if you look at it from an internal perspective, leaving this position vacant costs you a lot more than what it would cost to hire like a, a service. This is like something that I really recommend. You have a lot of intelligent and brilliant talent and diverse talent that can help you see the problems from different perspectives. And they just happen to be outside of your borders. Yeah. Just look outside and if you're really interested in advancing your company and pushing forward, you have to trust the process, talk to a relocation consultant and see how they can help and what are the documents that require because it just simplifies the process and saves you money at the end of the day. I want to come back to salary. Do uh, employers make a difference in terms of payment to talents from third countries and talents from the European Union? Basically, I wouldn't say that companies have that much difference when it comes to paying someone who is just moving or someone from the EU or in, uh, like an Austrian. If you lowball someone, if you pay them less than what they are actually worth in the market, they can always like move and go to someone who would pay them like their actual fair price. Of course, everyone wants to cut costs, but you have to play fair. Because if you don't play fair, people are going to leave you. Yeah. For example, here, if you're Austrian or if you're German and you speak German, working for a German company, 
um, you can have a bigger bargaining power because there's more demand for people who are speaking the local language. It's not necessary. You can still find a lot of jobs for developers in English. But if a company is looking for someone in German and they need someone who speaks German, then they have to pay for someone who speaks German, which I personally find very weird because at the end of the day, you're hiring someone to write code that is based on English. You shouldn't require from your developers to learn German or know German to write the English-based code. And uh, if you want to use German in a company, the reason for that is because you want your developers to work in a client or user-facing role, mm -hmm. which if you don't know, developers don't like to do that. This is why you have a product manager. They're managing all the different stakeholders. If you have a requirement for a product manager or product owner, to be a German speaker, I would understand that more yeah. because they are someone who is managing different ent like entities, different stakeholders. But a developer, they only need like this communication part, which is in German, which if a product developer knows German and knows English, they can translate it mm -hmm. and they can get the job done still. A Honeypot, for example, like it's a German-based company. Mm -hmm. And I think like the Germans in our company, they make around 25% mm -hmm. at most. And our entire company language is English internally. Sure. Only with the clients, they speak to German. And yeah. the only ones who do that are our client success advisors mm -hmm. because they're talking to German-speaking companies. Yeah. Developers, I don't think we even have a developer who speaks. We have two developers who speak German, and that's it. Uh, but back to the average salary. What is the average salary offered in Austria per talent type and role, for example, for back versus front end and full stack? That would depend also based on how many years. So not only like the focus that you have, that would depend on how many years of experience you have. That would depend also on the technology that you use. So if you are someone who uses JavaScript with React, you have a higher demand, for example. But if you're someone using Ember.js, Ember is not really used anymore. It might differ in that way. I can give you an approximate number from our 2022 report. For example, if you're a backend developer, you have four to six years of experience. The average sits at around 58.1K. And for the front-end developers, like 57.5K. So I would always go like 58 for both like plus or minus 1,000 as an average. Here you have like the Collective Vertrag and then always companies go up. So I wouldn't put the Collective Vertrag that far below this. <laughs> and is there a difference in the salary if the employer uh, lives in Vienna or in another state of Austria? Um, I wouldn't say there's a lot of difference. Austria is a quite a small country. So if you look at it, in the Western states, I think like costs are higher because they're closer to Switzerland, from what I understand. Uh, I haven't been that much into the West. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a Vienna boy now. <laughs> Based on our data, you have the same uh, salaries. It doesn't differ that much between regions in Austria. Uh, but Vienna, you have more, like, I think here you have the rent is very affordable. Yeah, cost of have, living is more yeah. expensive. Yeah. And is there a difference between female and male? If you're really interested in this topic, we also have a report on that. There is difference, unfortunately, between female and male developers. When it comes to the salaries, the offered salaries, I wouldn't say that there's that much. Always end up in the uh, recruitment process. There's a stigma where like, you always have to fight for it. And there is the discrepancy here. So we're not doing as much as a society to be transparent. So transparency should be very strong. If you're a company looking to progress into the future and stay competitive, my best advice when it comes to having a more diverse workforce between male and women to definitely have uh, the salary range. So everyone is paid fairly. You don't want to go into work a job that you really enjoy. And then you know that your colleague earns a lot more than you. I'm like, but I'm doing the same job. Why is that the difference? Like, why are they earning more? 
Yeah. Where can our listeners uh, find your... Yeah. Uh, uh, if you're interested in that, it's called uh, Honeypot's Developer Salary Report for the Salary Report itself. And we also have the Women in Tech Report. I can also uh, send you the link so they can access it directly. Um, but we have our blog called .cult. It's like a cult for developers. This is how involved we are in, uh, in the community. There's a lot of other interesting articles as well. We have a Developer Salary Report coming out in end of June or in July for the DAH region as well. So definitely stay tuned for that. What are the most sought-after technologies in Austria? This is difficult to answer, but from what I know, as far as I can tell from the data, if you're talking about languages, not the frameworks, the top three programming languages are Java, Python, and JavaScript. When it comes to frameworks, so programming frameworks, you have now React is the one that is most in demand. You have quite a few others as well. Vue.js, for example, is always demanded. There's Node.js that is also in demand. Actually, like, if you're interested in knowing more about that, we have our own documentary I mentioned, I think, before. It tells you the entire story. We're also, like, filming a few other documentaries about other technologies. It's on YouTube, right, about the React? The one is, mm -hmm. yeah, it's already mm -hmm. on YouTube. It really is a documentary, so you have an hour and 20 minutes, but you're fully immersed. Like, I'm not a programmer myself. When I watch it, I'm like, it's definitely worth a watch. We also have more, like, bite-sized content on YouTube. Uh, that you can watch. We have a few documentaries about important people in the programming world. For example, Grace Hopper. Um, she's known as the queen of code. She has done like a lot of work in the 1950s or 60s mm -hmm. to revolutionize how we're using computer in the 60s, I think. We have also uh, from the creators of programming languages that we interviewed. I have my colleagues, Ida and Caro. Shout out to you. They're working really hard on creating a lot of content that helps what do employers need to offer to tech talents coming from outside of Austria to be attractive to them? And what is expected from the talents? Other than having a good salary, at least a fair salary, talents from abroad are uh, really interested in working on a product that they identify with or they, they would enjoy working. Uh, we also have, sorry for spamming you with articles, we have an article about the developer's ambitions report. It tells you like what uh, industries as well are developers interested in. So for example, I think it's 35% of the developers that we surveyed are interested in working for a good cause or like a company that has a good cause. For example, like tech companies that are trying to fight climate change or trying to create, uh, for example, I have quite a few people who are interested in fintech, but they want to also work for companies that uh, provide some kind of payment solutions for people in uh, still developing countries. There's a lot of stuff that's happening. They want to feel their impact. And there's a lot of towns that are also uh, really interested in relocating to Europe. So Europe, as I mentioned, like a declining population. So we'd have a lot of shortage after 2030. We're going to have an even bigger shortage of tech talents. Even bigger even than bigger. we have now. If the projections stay like this, it's going to get even bigger. What industries or types of companies are looking for tech talents in Austria? In Austria, you have, I would say, especially after the pandemic, you have quite a lot of companies are looking for uh, developers. Because before the pandemic, we were not as dependent on technology. We had to go into lockdown. Everything had to move online. You have to purchase everything online. You can't meet people anymore. So that created a tech boom. Obviously, tech companies like Microsoft, Facebook, all of those uh, big names, um, they have a bigger dependency on tech talents than other regular companies. But I would say everyone, they're still looking definitely, but not as aggressively as in 2021, 2022 for technical talents because they are the ones that make their products work. After pandemic, we have moved from just businesses into having their own products and helping companies with the product. Mm -hmm. 
And if you're not a company that has your own software engineering team, you're a company that outsources it to someone else. So you are still dependent on developers. Do you think that people, for example, from India can settle in easily in Austria or can they be expected to face huge culture shocks? I do believe they can settle in quite well. Um, for example, this demographic from India, but also from everywhere. Like, I would say there's a big chunk that depends on how your culture is distant from the country that you're moving into. Uh, in my case, I wouldn't say like my culture as a Lebanese is that far away from like Austrian culture. We're still exposed. We get to know a lot about this. But if you're, for example, from India, uh, there's a big uh, cultural distance. However, Indian population, you can see that there's a lot of people that are also exposed on the internet, online, everything. They are ready to relocate. It wouldn't cause that much of a uh, cultural shock. But this is only a small portion of it. Another portion is how mentally like you're prepared for it, how much research you, you do into it. I actually did my research, uh, my thesis about uh, intercultural differences and language barriers. Uh, one thing that companies can really invest in exposing uh, them in the interview process, how things are. If they fit your program, if they fit your company, what you can do is you can also provide them with support into like, okay, this is how we can help you settle in. This is what you can expect. So it's a lot in the preparation before arrival rather than, ah, okay, we help them once they're here. Because once they move here, it's all about expectation management. If you don't provide them as a company beforehand, with an intercultural training, they would be less prepared when they move here. And the likelihood of them being shocked to a point where like, okay, no, this is too much for me. I need to go back home is higher. I have made the experience that people from Asian countries face really big problems when it comes to integration. So how can this be done better? But you just explained it to do a culture awareness workshop in advance before they move to Austria would help a lot to understand what to expect in another country. Yeah, exactly. If you want to see this way, let's say that you're going to another country. I'm going to put you on a plane and you have to go to Japan. As you mentioned, like you have seen how people from Asian countries uh, don't settle in that easily here because that goes back to the cultural distance. But if I also now put you on a plane and you go to Japan, Like without any preparation, you would see yourself. I mean, from what I know about Japanese culture, everything is super tiny. I'm a huge person. What is it called? Squatting everywhere to get into the train because I already know some of it. But if you're not someone who's never been exposed to it and you just like put on a plane, okay, you have to live here now. You have to adjust into how to read people, how to understand when someone is being nice or not. It gets confusing. If you don't get this clarification from someone who is a qualified trainer, or like a buddy. Companies should also invest in having yeah. a buddy. Maybe also from the same culture. It doesn't have to be from the same culture or similar culture. It definitely helps because you understand both perspectives that way. As long as you're willing to invest in that, it makes it a lot easier for your people to move here. Yeah. But it also means that you get to keep these people, especially if they're really yeah. good. You're not losing great potential and talent and you're not losing resources. What can you do to keep them once they are here? How can you help them to integrate them into our society? I mean, I have an idea. Maybe you know our Club Melange. It's just exactly that, uh, that people from other countries meet new friends here because usually you cannot bring your friends and your family with you to Austria. And Club Melange offers a place where you can meet other people and make new friends. This takes away a big worry because we all had friends back home. Yeah. Having initiatives like that helps you at least socialize. In the end, we are social beings, so we can't like uh, lone wolf our life. We are reliant on people to be there for us whenever we need them. 
And what you can do as a company after that is, let's say that you have a relocation company that helps you with everything at the beginning and even with the intercultural training. But after this person is already here and trained, you still have to go with them. You have to like hold their hand, especially for the first three months, Mm -hmm. because this is the most crucial period for them. This is when they can still leave and say like, okay, no, you have done a bad job as a company. Mm -hmm. And this helps you as a company for your employer branding. Mm -hmm. If you're helping people, you're holding their hands, it helps that if you have a buddy system where you can feel like, okay, there's someone checking on me. There's someone who know yet, but who, who cares? Or helps me with the first issues. Where can I find a doctor? What, yeah. uh, where can I get medicine on the Sunday night? Exactly. It's all about networking, enabling these people. So a lot of people are introverted or extroverted or ambiverted, but still showing that whenever you feel like socializing or interacting with people, we are here like you can reach out this is a safe environment psychological safety is also really important for immigrants and expatriates because it helps them stay it helps them not only stay and like integrate it helps them really get immersed into the culture into the company itself let's say you are now hired by a company in a really different location where you don't feel psychologically safe you don't know if you can talk to people you're shy and mentally you're not going to be directing all of your energy towards being like at work and creating like awesome things you'll be more like worried about your situation am i gonna stay here is this the right place for me i don't know if there are people are like being nice to me or not i don't know Uh, investing in creating the safe space for people to start taking those baby steps into a society this is really important now we are already discussing when the talents are here in austria but i want to go back once when they are interviewed I always wonder, are HR departments of big companies overwhelmed with interviewing tech talents because it is so technical already? Uh, to answer this question, uh, some companies might feel that they are under pressure to understand all of the technical aspects of it. But if you're a small company, for example, you don't have a technical recruiter, you're just a regular recruiter, you are someone who can rely on your engineering manager. So try to like build a really good relationship with the engineering manager or with the hiring manager and get all of the information that you need and all the criteria and the requirements and what will make it work. So don't just look into ticking the boxes 100% from the technical perspective, not even like the, the personal perspective. No one would meet all of your criteria. You just like need to find what kind of person has enough criteria so that they can directly integrate into the work and not have to retrain them entirely. Uh, I asked a few developers, like, what would you call a recruiter that's looking for 180, 70% match? And I said, like, this is not someone I would want to work with because they're not evaluating my skills based on how well I can do my job. They're basically, if I have the tools, it's like going to a plumber and asking the plumber, like, hey, can you fix my toilet? But they have like a really modern technologies that they use to solve the top the problem. But you judge them just because they don't have like this wrench thing. No, <laughs> try to hire people based on the problems that they solve, not on what they bring to the table with them as technologies. And are the the talent success advisors at Honeypot uh, are they specialized in different tech areas or? How do you advise the talents or how do you screen them? The screening process at Honeypot is basically based on, first of all, a coding challenge, just to make sure that like whatever programming language you work with, you can code. Mm-hmm. So as long as you can uh, show the logic in coding, you can also write it in any language that you want. But as long as you demonstrate and pass and solve the problem, it means that technically you can do it. 
That's the first side. The second side is Honeypot as talent success advisors. We are trained to understand what are the technologies that our clients are looking for and how can we assess them, like which technologies work with what. So if you see, for example, like someone who has JavaScript in their technologies, but also has something completely unrelated like C, C++, and it's a very confusing profile, you can tell this person, wait, cut, I need to repeat this one. Uh, so basically, if you're looking for a profile of someone on Honeypot, you look into their tech stack. You have a lot of technologies that get mixed. You have Python, JavaScript, you have some uh, Java on the side. And you can't really tell what kind of position this person is interested in because they selected backend, frontend, full stack. But based on what kind of technologies they have in their profile, and you can just like, go into their experiences as well, try and understand what technologies they worked with, you can put one and one together to understand if this person has experience working on each end, so on the back end, on the front end, or if it's a full stack with what focus. It's a little bit like overwhelming to learn at the beginning. Mm-hmm. However, uh, once you get started as Dan Success Advisor, like, you get immersed. Like We have a saying here at Honeypot, that I heard from other people who already like left the company like two years ago. They told me like, it might feel much, but trust me, like you would get uh, two, three years worth of experience in one year. Mm-hmm. And after spending almost two years at Honeypot, it stands true. Okay. <laughs> Does Honeypot offer some guidance to talents who are willing to work and live abroad, but are not 100% sure about the job and uh, that would suit them? What we do at Honeypot is we help uh, developers find the jobs once they find them and they have a contract or an interview invite even from a company in Austria, Germany, the Netherlands or in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have in our documentation a list of or what kind of uh, work visa you have or you can apply for. You have the blue card, you have the in Austria, for example, the Rot-Weiß-Rot. Basically, we tell them the difference between each and what. And they can also see if they are eligible for this one or not. To qualify also for the Rotweiss-Rotkarte, I think if you're applying from abroad, you have a list of requirements that you need to meet before you... It's a point system. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This is what we help them with. We give them like a small briefing of what they need to know about it. Um, and we have also, we help them when it comes to relocation. We have like relocation partners in, uh, in Germany. Um, in Austria, we don't yet, uh, but uh, this is a great opportunity to collaborate with Recon, for example. <laughs> we also uh, provide them with support uh, when it comes to consideration. I have a really awesome story of a talent uh, that I used to deal with. He has finally moved here in 2022. He was interviewing with a company and um, he was set in his mind for like a certain salary, which was 50K. And the company could only offer him 46K, but with a lot of benefits, which takes us back to the benefit what can companies offer. Mm-hmm. Benefits can go far. I got all the details from him and he told me that they're providing him with three months rent, plus have a free canteen they can use every day at work, plus they're furnishing his workstation at home, plus he gets like 2,000 euro budget for learning and development. If you count it like brutto versus netto, mm-hmm. It makes more sense to take the 46K with all the benefits than to only aim for the 50K. This is something that he didn't know. And I jumped on a call with him because I saw the email. I'm like, dude, you're missing out on a really awesome opportunity to change your life. Mm-hmm. And I went on a call with him and I told him everything. I, I did the math for him. I helped him with everything to understand, like, this is a really good opportunity for you to relocate, to start somewhere new, to earn well, because it comes from Nepal and the salaries there are not that good. So by relocating here, it's going to change his life as well as his family's life. <laughs> Actually, I, I met him in person for the first time. He moved here, I think. He got the offer in March 2022. And he moved here around August. 
2022 and I met him in September. We went for drinks and for burgers. It was really good. This is probably one of my favorite moments working at Honeypot when he talked to me like, Mo, it was difficult to convince me, but I'm super happy that you talked me into it because he's not in Vienna now, but uh, he's very happy with the, with the opportunity. He's really enjoying his job, his colleagues, the environment is really nice. And at the end, he's able to, and he didn't find it very difficult to integrate. And the funnier part is two weeks after he relocated, he also referred someone to use Honeypot and that friend also relocated. Uh, that's, that's how I met them together in September. And now in December or November, they had a third, the third friend. One. <laughs> Honestly, a third friend, he was referred to it and I met them all. They're awesome bunch. Shout out to you guys. <laughs> Are you predominantly looking for younger talents or would you say that more mature talents also stand a chance of finding a job with you? Um, so the first thing at Honeypot is we do not tolerate ageism, mm -hmm. so everyone can apply. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Companies also have, um, especially in the Dach region, the shortage is not with the junior talents, the shortage is with the more senior people. Mm -hmm. They're more in demand. I mean, you definitely need, like the major part is people who have between uh, four and 10 years of experience as a developer, but also you need people to manage those people. So, and to lead them or to guide them or to act as um, mentors, there are opportunities for everyone. Um, I remember I had a talk with um, a 55-year-old uh, engineer, and I think that was one of my favorite calls. We were very similar in how we approach life, and it was very refreshing. I think they found a job, not through Honey, but the market is still looking. So no matter your level of experience. Is there any advice that you would give to tech talents listening from abroad and willing to take the plunge? I mean, I didn't do it as a tech talent and I didn't do it as uh, directly moving to Austria. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I highly recommend Austria as a country, also like the rest of the EU, it's very nice. But especially Austria and Vienna, it's definitely worth everything I left back home. I would say it's the best decision I've ever had. I would tell that to my girlfriend as well. Like, that was the best decision. She's the second best because if it wasn't for the second She's one, I wouldn't the second. Have Oh, yeah, you wouldn't know her. I wouldn't have met her because of that. And she feels confused about it because, like, well, aren't I the best decision? But then she, like, it makes sense. Like, if he didn't move here, I wouldn't have met him. And companies are looking for people to make a change. And now diversity is a really big topic in companies, which is awesome for people who are coming from abroad. So definitely, if you have an interest, if you have this curiosity of trying to go live uh, and moving to uh, Europe, definitely try to find out how you can do that. Do your research about the countries that you're interested in. You might not be interested in working in like all of the EU countries. I know that I would love to work in Austria, but I'm not really sure if I would love to work, for example, in Scandinavia, I'd really like to have Samsung, <laughs> but also like the same for uh, like if I'm working in Spain. It's really interesting how I felt really fit working culture-wise in Austria. So definitely invest time in your research. You can be interested in learning the language, so it makes it a little bit easier for you to resettle here and deal with all of your bills and calling energy companies like hey this has been too much how can i understand what you're doing <laughs> it is so fantastic to hear your insight and experience and thank you so much mo but before i let you go i got to ask you about your favorite place in vienna what is your hotspot in vienna difficult to answer that if you would have asked me before 2022 
I would have told you in one of my best friend's apartments. There were two of my best friends. They were living together. They had like a duplex apartment where we would go there. We would just like have some barbecue and enjoy. They have a really nice view. And I would definitely 10 times out of 10 would prefer to go there and to mm -hmm. go into a bar or a club or a restaurant. Uh, but when it comes to these types of uh, places, that's a really difficult one. One of the places that I really like in Vienna is, for example, a restaurant called Elisar. Uh, it reminds me of home, like it's Lebanese food. Uh, it's in the first district near Stadtpark. Another place I really like is um, there's like a rooftop bar at um, 25 Hour Hotel. I really enjoy the view there. It's called 25 Hours. Yeah. It's um, on Lachenfelder Straße. Yes, I absolutely recommend to our listeners this bar, yeah. Mm -hmm. And my actual hotspot, as I mentioned in the beginning, I really like my stomach. My actual hotspot, you would find it in Bonomarkt. Now, now I'm living in the fifth district, which is not that far, but not really next to it. But you would see me going there as frequently as possible. Whenever I'm working from the office, I would just like bike there for 10 minutes. Tell me about Brunnenmarkt. Uh, what can you buy there? For me, I can buy almost everything that I have back home. Uh, but I focus more on the food. We have this thing called Manushi in Lebanon, which takes me back to being a three, four year old it's like a dough uh, that you put in an oven with some tumion on it like uh some some thyme and oh you brought it last time yeah. yes and thank you very much <laughs> uh, there's also some kind of cheese that we have that's a little bit salty that you can put as well on it uh but also like um the hühnerspieß uh, called shishta and uh, it's basically a chicken um skewers it's really delicious with the garlic. I love like the garlic sauce. So you get uh, food, vegetables, yeah. fruits from all over the world, and exactly. also some other stuff like um, technical stuff. Yeah. Or, yeah. You can still. I, I find soap from back home. I find uh, herbs and spices. Yeah. I find tools. For example, one of my favorite dishes is um, like uh, stuffed zucchinis. When I moved here, I had to go back to Lebanon so I can like eat it. I went to Bonomarkt, like, why don't I go to Bonomarkt? And I went there and I found that they have this carving thing exactly like the one that my mom has. So I know that I can do exactly the same dish. Sorry, mom, I do it better now. It's not only like stuff that are cultural, you also find like very uh, convenient and affordable things. So when I was living there, I was still unemployed. I wasn't even a working student. I was a struggling student with an 800 euro budget. And it was quite affordable to get everything I need from there. So it was really helping when it comes to surviving. So Brunnenmarkt is in the 17th or 16th? It's in the 16th, 16th district. 16th district. Close to yeah. the border with the yeah, 17th. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was so nice talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mo. Thank you for having me. It was really refreshing. <laughs> and now we have a coffee together. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Maybe you would also like to join our Club Melange, meet new friends. We organize great and fun events for the international community in Vienna. Check out the next upcoming events at www.recom-relocation.at. Our clients also love our intercultural trainings presented by Martin Pay, partner and CEO at Recom Relocation. Martin is a certified intercultural trainer. Check it out and find out yourself what it means living in Austria and how weird the Austrians really are. Thanks for listening. <laughs>